Hey there, it's Mitch here. And before we get into today's episode, our spring membership drive has officially sprung and we've got one heck of a giveaway. When you make a donation in any amount to Vermont Public by March 16th, you'll be entered to win a new roof valued up to $15,000 thanks to Vermont Construction Company. Your support makes everything we do possible. Make a gift today so we can keep bringing you the trustworthy, reliable news you count on day in and day out. To make your gift, head to vermontpublic.org donate. And thanks. From Vermont Public, this is The Frequency. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. It's Wednesday, February 7th, and here are today's headlines. Facing an unprecedented increase in education spending, key lawmakers say they have no option but to fast-track a change to Vermont's school funding formula this year. What that change will look like is still in development. But the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee in the House is expected to introduce legislation this week. Emily Kornheiser chairs that committee. She says a temporary tax break folded into a previous retooling of Vermont's school funding formula is having unintended consequences, and it needs to go. It essentially sends the whole education fund into a bit of a haywire scenario where we can't predict outcomes or impacts. And so something's going to have to change there. A change would likely mean that school boards would need to draft new spending plans. Lawmakers are exploring parallel legislation that would let districts delay school budget votes from their traditional dates on town meeting day in March. A new $100,000 grant will provide financial planning and literacy services to survivors of domestic violence in Vermont. Ari Menard is an advocate in Washington County. She says people escaping domestic violence often pay a steep financial price when they leave. Because people are coming to me with credit scores of 480 and I am having to help them get those credit scores up to a place where a landlord might actually rent to them um, or a bank might ever consider giving them a loan for anything. The Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Abuse received the grant and will provide training on things like how to improve a credit score. The funds will also go toward Saving Match program that will help survivors gather the money needed to secure an apartment or pay off debts. Union membership in Vermont hit a record high last year. That's according to data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics released yesterday. There were 43,000 union workers in the Green Mountain State in 2023, the highest number on record. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, union members accounted for 14% of workers in Vermont last year. That's up from 12% in 2022. Vermont was one of 19 states with a union membership rate above the national average, which is 10%. In a separate press release yesterday, the BLS said that the Burlington, South Burlington metro area's unemployment rate in December was 1.6%, which was one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country. And there's news regarding unions out of New Hampshire as well. The National Labor Relations Board ruled Monday that members of the Dartmouth College men's basketball team are employees of the school. All 15 members of the team signed a petition in September to join a union branch, which already represents other employees at the university. The NLRB's regional director in Boston ruled that Dartmouth's right to control the players' work and the fact that players receive compensation for that work means the team members meet the definition of an employee. A union election will be held on campus at a future date. If a union is voted for, it would be the first ever labor union for NCAA athletes. 
Unionizing would let players negotiate their salary as well as their practice and travel schedule. Dartmouth said they will seek a review of the decision. Vermont House lawmakers are considering a bill that would ban the licensing of cannabis cultivation in densely populated areas. The legislation was prompted by a small outdoor cultivator in Essex Junction who also raises ducks. His operation has riled the number of neighbors who have reported strong odors and loud noise from the combination. Cannabis Control Board Chairman James Pepper told the committee he has concerns about the bill because the legislature specifically exempted small growers from local zoning regulations. And he said it may be difficult to implement. I just wonder if are we supposed to put a pin in the site and draw a circle around it and see how many people live in that area. And I just don't know if that's, I, I don't know of a map, mapping tool that exists that would give us that kind of information. Mike McCarthy chairs the House Government Operations Committee and says the legislation amounts to a major policy change that needs further study from his panel. Coming up, our Morning Edition host, Jen Jarecki, underwent a mammogram for the first time and recorded what the experience was like. We'll hear about it after this. The Frequency is supported by MVP Healthcare, offering Medicare Advantage plans made for Vermont and guided by doctors. In partnership with the UVM Health Network. Info at uvmhealthadvantage.com. Last year, I had the chance to do something I'd only ever heard about, a lot about, but had never experienced myself. You're going to start to feel it pull on your chest wall, which is completely normal. We're going to stop there. Jen, hold your breath. That's me getting my very first mammogram. A lot of people find mammograms intimidating and awkward, physically, or even to talk about in the first place. Like, here's my mom Deb's poetic way of describing them. It's uncomfortable. It's like somebody puts you on a cement garage floor and backs a car over you. And healthcare organizations offer so much varying guidance about mammography, which can make it hard to figure out if someone should start getting screened and when. Providers say that's a problem because mammograms are an essential tool to catch breast cancer before it advances too far to treat. So I'm sharing the experience of my first mammogram in the hope of demystifying this procedure for anyone considering a breast cancer screening. And as a heads up, I'm using the term breast in this story, but chest health is also common since people of all genders are at risk for breast cancer. How are you feeling? I woke up, like, pretty anxious. It was an almost hot September day when I drove to Porter Medical Center in Middlebury with Vermont Public reporter Elodie Reed, who was there to both document the procedure and provide support in the face of my mounting nerves. So much of it was thinking about, like, having that more host head on. And then I woke up this morning like, oh, but you're, like, the human being getting a mammogram today. Like, these are your breasts, and this is your breast tissue, and... It's actually happening. Clearly, this was no regular doctor's visit. But let's rewind for a hot second, because those nerves definitely preceded my appointment. My mother always told me, you turn 40, you start getting routine mammograms. But when 40 came around, I wasn't quite sure. And here's partly why. 15 years ago, a major national group that influences doctors and insurance coverage changed course to recommend no longer starting routine screenings at age 40, but at 50 instead. Meanwhile, there's an alphabet soup of acronymed healthcare organizations with their own mammogram guidance. So I thought, 
Better ask my primary care doc, Catherine Naden, what she thinks. How worried are you that you might have breast cancer? How much do you want to open Pandora's box? Sometimes people have less anxiety keeping Pandora's box closed, and sometimes they have more anxiety knowing that they're choosing not to open it. And I felt like keeping that box closed wasn't an option, so I requested a screening. Breast cancer is fairly common in middle age. Dr. Naden says it can occur earlier in life than many other cancers. You don't expect to get cancer at 40. It's the first time for most people that they have to face their mortality, that they might actually get a cancer diagnosis out of this test. And if there's one thing I consistently heard from Dr. Naden and pretty much everyone else I spoke to for this story, it's this. Breast cancer is very treatable if we can catch it early. The more screening we do, the more cases we detect, the earlier we detect them and the more treatable they early are. Early detection is so, so critical. Absolutely. Early detection is the best. A mammogram is an x-ray of your breast tissue. And the screening, start to finish, usually takes about 10 minutes. Your very first set of images are crucial. They establish your baseline, which is what your future mammograms are compared to. And mammography is all about comparison because it helps with, you guessed it, early detection. Early detection can be paramount in finding breast cancer, particularly for aggressive cancers, which is why experts are worried that at-risk Americans are getting far fewer mammograms than they did 15 years ago when that popular guidance shifted. And according to UVM Cancer Center research from last spring, Vermont has seen the second steepest decline in screening rates of any state in the country. But knowing if you're at risk and if it's the right time for a screening can be tricky. Dr. Naden recommends talking to a provider you trust. This is a very nuanced conversation. It's really got to be about family history, when you had your first period, how many kids you've had, and it's not something that can be boiled down to a soundbite of this is who is average risk and this is who is high risk. But sometimes, be it the physical discomfort of the exam, the potential results, or the way someone is raised, people can be apprehensive about getting mammograms. And that brings us back to the drive to my screening with Elodie, who we met earlier. See, I heard a lot about mammograms growing up, but turns out Elodie didn't because of the religion she grew up practicing. She says if her relatives ever got screened, she didn't know about it, even though it might have changed the course of their lives. I'm pretty sure my grandmother died of breast cancer, but I don't actually know. And then my mom, my mom definitely had breast cancer. Um, and I know that because I took care of her. That got Elodie thinking about her family history and how it might impact her. There's like implications about my health as well. And um, I'm like an only child, but like, I don't know if there's implications for like female cousins or like, I, I don't know, I don't actually know. Although there is a hereditary link with breast cancer, Elodie wasn't super familiar with how mammograms worked. And experts have told me that that lack of knowledge is also part of the reason people aren't comfortable getting them. When you know how something works, it becomes less intimidating. But when I showed up to Porter Medical on that balmy September day, I was still a little nervous. Here we are. So now it's one step closer to my first mammogram. Your mother's sister's daughter's aunts, grandmothers, or any male relatives ever been diagnosed with breast cancer? Blood relatives only. 
Now that we were seated in radiology and I was filling out paperwork, things felt pretty real. And just as I could feel my heart race even faster, in walked my mammographer. My name is Brittany Ferdinand. I'm a radiologic technologist and mammographer, and I've been doing mammo mammography for nine years. Your mammotech is wildly influential in your experience of getting screened, both physically and emotionally. But with her broad smile and infectious optimism, Brittany immediately put me at ease. So come on in Whoa. here, Jen. Um, it's like a spaceship. Yeah, right? We just keep the ambiance just really chill. So it's like calming vibes. Let's start with your right breast. So if, okay. you're, if you'll just take your arm and slide it right out of the sleeve for sure. me. This machine's gonna be your best friend. Okay. <laughs> but I want you to just lean in with me as okay. much as you can. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna start to bring this compression down. We're gonna stop there. Jen, hold your breath. And it really wasn't that bad. Thankfully, nothing like being put on a cement garage floor and having a car run over my breast, which was a relief. But that was just one shot. And a mammogram includes multiple images of each breast. So we moved on. I feel so funny asking people to relax their shoulder when I'm literally bringing down compression. <laughs> They're like, easy for you to say. <laughs> so basically what I'm doing right now is pulling all your breast tissue forward and making sure that I have all the anatomy that I need to prove that I have all of your breast tissue on an image. Your Mammotech may show you photos there on the spot, like Brittany offered me in a Lodi. Oh wow, that is so wild. Isn't it interesting? Yes, it's okay. fascinating. It looks like the moon. And you, it, I've never heard anyone say the moon and it totally does. Like the little craters. Yes, and exactly. <laughs> Breast tissue looks like these grayish, pocketed swirls in pictures. And this tissue weakens as we age. So the younger the patient, the denser the breast tissue. And the greater the chance you may need additional imaging, since it can be harder for radiologists to see anatomy as clearly on the first pass. That's why a lot of doctors and radiologists recommend that people in the 40 to 49 age range consider getting called back for more imaging as part two of a two-step screening process. They may see something in your breast tissue that kind of raises a little like, oh, we need to check on that just to make sure it's not something that they should be monitoring more closely. And Michelle Ains, the director of radiology at Porter Medical, really doesn't want the fear of a callback to stop you from taking that first step. Unlike my primary care doc, she recommended ripping the lid right off of Pandora's box. Because not knowing it's not going to go away. You know, the disease is still going to progress. In addition to supporting breast cancer patients for nearly two decades, Michelle is a survivor. So I asked what role mammography played in her diagnosis. The ultimate role. My cancer was so small, I would have never felt it. If it not, had not been for the mammogram, you know, mine wouldn't have been found perhaps until it was, you know, too late. Gradually, as I talked with Michelle, she revealed her own experiences as both a healthcare provider and a patient. You know, there's times during October Breast Cancer Awareness Month that as a patient who had had breast cancer, like, I don't want to be reminded everywhere I go about it. You know, I'm reminded every day. Still, Michelle says there's power in sharing your story and raising awareness and community for others. I'm so thankful at the same time that the word is out there. Breast cancer doesn't define you. It's part of you, but it doesn't define you. And don't hog your journey. It's not just for you. 
And I felt similarly, at least when it comes to screenings. If just one person feels a little more ready to get their first mammogram after hearing about mine, I'm grateful to make a very personal experience public. The boob squishing is over. The boob squishing is over. I definitely felt relieved as Elodie and I got into the car after the screening, but I wondered. How was it for, for you to, like, to, to witness, but also you, you know, um, and your relationship with... Breast cancer? Yeah. I... It's funny. I grew up, like, not wanting to know about things because my religion told me, like, that wasn't useful to, like, developing my spirituality. And then turns out I'm actually a super curious person and I love knowledge. And um, I love that I know how that works now. Yeah, me too. And I'm relieved to share that I received my results the very next day. They have my baseline and didn't find anything that needed more imaging. So... Now I just wait for my next annual screening. Well, now I'm just like going to call you every year and be like, Elodie, I'm getting a mammogram. <laughs> you can come for mine. Exactly. And be like, hey, I'm just, it's a thing we do. Yeah. We go to each other's mammogram. For Vermont Public, I'm Jen Jarecki. That was host Jen Jarecki sharing the experience of her first mammogram. And special thanks to producer Nathaniel Wilson and reporter Elodie Reed for helping produce that story. Thanks for listening to The Frequency today. We had additional reporting from Lola Dufour, Peter Hirschfeld, Leah Melder-Connors, Adia Golston, and Bob Kinzel. Our executive producer is Kevin Trevelin, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. Talk to you tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.